And to that uh, piece of shit lieutenant that's always uh, on his podcast, uh, bashing us, fuck him. <laughs>
And from watching this, I can tell you the first thing. I believe that this Marine was walking a fine line between being heroic and potentially being a criminal in the eyes of the politics and the public as we speak, as we're going right now. John, you said this before. I've said it too. I do not think that this particular Marine Corps veteran, this citizen, on this particular day, he was a strap hanger on the train. He was a subway rider. He was a passenger. He was a New Yorker. Whether he's from New York or not, on this particular day, he was a New Yorker using New York City subways. I find it highly unlikely that he woke up that day and said that he wants to kill someone. Based on that video, I do believe that his perception, along with the other two males in that video, was that this, this young man, Mr. Neely, unfortunately is tragic in his death. And, and, and I feel sorry to the family, but I do think they believed and they perceived that he was a real threat to the other passengers on the train and also themselves. And they took action to hold him down and in hopes that the police would respond and then take him into custody and either make the arrest or get him to a, a hospital and get him the proper mental care that he needs. John, what else would you like to highlight about this? I just want to say that, you know, today we see a lot of people just videotape while things are going on in New York City subways, on New York City streets, across the country. You know, and if that was your wife or your children on a subway car, you would want somebody to intervene. Somebody's acting erratic, violent, getting in people's faces. So I applaud all three men for getting involved. I do. Um, I, 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 you know, and I would hope to see more of it. I don't want to see anybody die from that. And the way that I think that we could avoid people having to get involved is by having safe subway systems is by having proper medical facilities to bring emotionally disturbed people to, and also by enforcing minor crime, having our police department enforce minor laws, like, you know, hopping the turnstile, uh, trespassing in New York City subways, loitering on New York City subways, um, defecating in New York City with subways, uh, uh, urinating. That would have kept Mr. Neely out of the subway system. Um, one other thing is that there was an open arrest warrant for Mr. Neely. He uh, had slapped, I believe, a 67-year-old woman on the face in New York City subways. And that arrest warrant was never... Um, executed, I want to say, he was never arrested because of it. So potentially he had 44 prior arrests. Potentially he could have been inside of jail um, or uh, or some type of medical facility to rehab him. Because I do believe that, you know, mental illness shouldn't be criminalized. But because they have mental illness, they shouldn't be allowed to victimize innocent people on New York City subways just going to work that day. And my other thought is, you know, and I even titled this podcast analysis of Marine veteran. I believe that Marine veteran moniker is being used to, uh, I'm sorry, that the Marine veteran title is being used to somehow say that this man should have known better. And I just want to clear it up. And I, I hope you don't take any offense to it. And I hope no one in that served in the armed forces takes offense to what I'm about to say. But our members of our military are not trained in police use of force. 
They're not trained on how to deal with emotionally disturbed people inside of New York City subways. I'm going to go one further. If he was a, a Texas cop who was traveling on New York City subways that day and he intervened, you could say that he's a trained police officer. But I don't believe that he would have the knowledge and the wherewithal and the understanding of New York City subways to be laying on your back with a violent adversary on your stomach and you're attempting to stop a violent assault. Someone that you're afraid of is probably a scary thing in a train full of strangers. Now, I know there were two men assisting him and there was another man videotaping him and, you know. If at any point somebody thought something was wrong, they could have intervened, including the man videotaping, right? If somebody thought Mr. Neely was in distress, why didn't someone remove the choke? Why didn't someone come over and say, all right, he's good. Hold on, relax. Nobody did that because it didn't appear that that it appeared he was still struggling. It's a great example you brought up. And I can even highlight this right now. So last week, you and I spoke, and I think I actually mentioned on a podcast, or maybe I mentioned in a Twitter space. I actually took a self-defense course, a uh, level one certification for uh, jujitsu type policing tactics. Even though I'm, I'm in retirement, I still take part in, in these tactics and these certifications uh, with police tactics. So they, I stay abreast, obviously, doing this podcast so that I can continue to help cops around this country. And I, I do, I always take part in teaching tactics to young police officers. So I want to stay abreast up on the, on, on what's current. And John, if you remember you and I spoke about this and what I found was I did, I took this class one level one certification in Florida and the instructor I spoke to, he has 36 years of experience. He teaches Navy SEALs. He teaches police departments throughout the entire country. And let me just circle back on this. I always say this. And I said this even on the interview, John, the first podcast we had before we started 265 Live on this, you actually interviewed me, and I said, and I still believe this, policing is not a one-size-fits-all. Policing has to be conducive to the environment that you're assigned to work in. And so what I found in this particular Level 1 certification, the training was fantastic, but the instructor had asked me for some feedback. With 36 years' experience, I said the training is fantastic. I think that the the physical confrontations, the tactics used, amazing. They're very effective. And I also think the mindset is. But not all the training was conducive to being a New York City police officer in a metropolis. Some of it was very conducive that when you're working in Florida, in, in places where you have distance and time, you're working in more rural or more suburban areas. Yes, there are metropolises in Florida. But for the majority of it, the cops that I was doing this course with, worked in those type of environments. They may be headed with an adversary in a 7-Eleven parking lot, maybe at a, at a mall parking lot, something where they have time, distance, a different environment than New York City, especially in a warm climate is that they're dealing with people that are usually wearing shorts and T-shirts. So they're not wearing that heavy clothing that they may deal with someone in an environment that they can seal various types of weapons. And so I found that the training was great, but not all of it was conducive to New York City. And again, I'll say this. I was a Marine. I am a, a former Marine. I was a veteran. And the training of the Marines is top-notch. It's the best fighting force in the entire world. But to compare the politicians that are trying to make a parallel from a Marine Corps veteran to the New York City Police Department is completely unfair. The training in the Marines is very effective, but it's comparing oranges and apples. However, 
I did say this, John, you and I talked offline. There are military police in every branch of service. Now, I don't know if this particular Marine veteran was military police, but even that is different. Military police, they deal with mentally, uh, mental illness and emotionally disturbed because there are veterans that are in crisis, that are suicidal, that are suffering from PTSD. But still, the environment, how you deal with a fellow veteran is much different on how you're going to deal with a stranger who's mentally ill in a metropolis as, and, and moving very fast on a New York City subway. So to hold this Marine Corps veteran accountable as a police officer, I think is completely unfair. They do not have the training. We have to stop saying that he was acting as a Marine Corps veteran. He was acting as a citizen in New York City, in a city that's deteriorating in a complete crisis right now due to the legislation, the politics that we're dealing with. I just want to reference this right now. John McCarry, my partner here in telling the truth, put out a tweet today, which was completely very impactful, a powerful tweet on how the system is completely broken and how it's attributed to this particular incident. And uh, he was actually interviewed about it on Fox News, and it's been put out there. I think it's a very impactful message, and that's what's happening. It's a broken system. So I do. I think it's completely unfair, and that's why I say that this Marine veteran was on the cusp from being heroic and now being perceived as a potential criminal. I think it's completely unfair. We should not expect the same outcome as we would from a New York City police officer because he's not trained as a New York City police officer. He's trained as a Marine. Effective training, but for a different environment. And I agree with you. We cannot hold a cop in Texas the same accountability as a cop in New York City. I would hope that John and I, if we became police officers in another a county or another state, another city, that we would not be held accountable because it would be a different environment that we would have to learn. John, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. It's a, New York City is a unique place. New York City subway is a unique place. You know, it's a scary place. And honestly, it's a scary place now. And I, I just don't think that someone that we train to go overseas, and like you said, they, they're Marines, they're an elite fighting force, and that's true for all of our military. But they're not to, to, to police our streets. They're there for wartime. They're there for the for we're going to send them overseas. We're not training them to be on New York City subways to deal with emotionally disturbed people. This is what our elected officials in the New York City Police Department and the emergency and, and, uh, and EMS and the fire department. This is what we're trained to do. This is our wheelhouse. This, you know, if you want to hold us accountable, I understand. And we should be the ones held accountable that passengers needed to deal with this unruly strap hanger who was emotionally disturbed and was a threat physically to, to people and caused panic and alarm to everyone in that subway car. We failed them. You know, we're spending all this money in the transit system for what? Where were the police? Why did it take the police response so long to get on that train? And I get the trains moving and it's going to take time to get to the next stop. But people calling 911, the person should have never been in New York City subways. That's one. Two, these men, these men intervened. Um, they intervened to help. They were good Samaritans. I'm going to say right now, unequivocally, that man did not wake up with the intention of killing anybody so murder is out the window because the intent is not there and you can clearly see in the video he has no intent to kill the man whatsoever at all so if we want to talk legality of charges just about the the chokehold itself i mean potentially 
you could make an argument that this that by him holding him in a chokehold for that long is reckless and and it could be a manslaughter but how are you determining well, from the video i watched and the video i watched wasn't 15 minutes and that's the narrative that's being played the video i watched was about four minutes and in the four minutes mr neely was struggling basically the whole time except for the last few seconds and the minute they said he's not struggling anymore the, the, the man let go of him and they got up and they tried to wake him up and they tried to put him on his side to promote free breathing. They were actually trying to help him, you know? So I don't, I, so I don't even think the manslaughter thing comes into play here just by me looking at it, because at what point did that man know that Mr. Neely wouldn't turn around, stab him in the throat or turn around, start hammer fisting him. He I, I don't believe he knew that at any point until the other gentleman told him he was obviously scared on his back. So I, I think the only the only charge we could even be talking about is manslaughter. I don't want to hear murder out of anyone's mouth, right? Because they could say that it's reckless, but I don't believe there's even a case for that. I don't believe you even have a case for that because it he he, he literally is a good Samaritan. And you know, again, it's not the critic that counts. This man put his life in danger to protect others, and you know. That should be that should be weighed into any decisions that we're going to make publicly. What if that what if that man was accosting your wife, your daughter, your uh, disabled mother, your elderly father, and and this man intervened? And and you know it's unfortunate. I don't believe that anyone on that subway platform wanted on that subway in that subway car wanted Mister Neely to die, especially that Marine. I believe he was he was he was subduing him the best way he knew how. Absolutely. The implication that the chokehold was attacked to kill him, I think, is, is a complete farce. I don't think that this this particular veteran had any in inclination that his chokehold could potentially exacerbate what... And the reason why I say exacerbate is because him flailing around and, and still uh, acting aggressive while he was in that chokehold leads, leads me to believe that he was possibly induced on some type of substance and obviously, he was going through a mental crisis uh, because being in a chokehold, uh, that if, if he was in an extreme amount of pain, uh, there may be other options for him to to at least uh, try to calm his body down and 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 in, in hopes that he would mirror a response from that Marine. Because in most cases, if your anxiety levels are down, then someone else will be reflective of that, and the Marine could have calmed down as well. But him still flailing around and still kicking led the Marine, the Marine veteran, I believe, and I, I can't say because I haven't spoken to him, but just based on watching the video and also the other two strap hangers, that he was still a threat. Uh, like I said, it, it is tragic, but I don't believe that the implication can be there that he was trying to kill him. I just don't, you know, we, we haven't got the toxicology yet to know if he was induced on any other substance, substances, which I do believe there were because I mean, chokeholds happen constantly in martial arts and they don't end up in death. Was this a prolonged period of time? Yes, but time is, gets distorted when you're in a situation like that. I don't think we can hold him accountable for the amount of time when we're talking about him being afraid. And and that's why I say he was on the cusp of being heroic and a criminal because God, you know, God willingly, if Mr. Neely was alive today and this didn't it, this didn't attribute to his death or result in his death. He could potentially have been held as a hero. We might have read about this Marine Corps veteran 
in the paper and held as a hero. This might have been a complete different story, as tragic as it is. And here's the other option. Here's the other problem that I see. And this is something that really has to be talked about. So the politicians that we have now in New York City and Democratic cities around the country and the legislation that we have, the talks about mental crisis are on, on a constant basis. And we talk about how to rehabilitate those that are uh, having a mental crisis and how to seek out help. But everyone that is an adversary or a perpetrator is going through a mental crisis. It's not normal behavior to to commit a crime and to fight with the police. So I'm not saying Mr. Neely was not emotionally disturbed, but we're starting to put everyone into this category of having a mental crisis. And the answer is to get everyone to a hospital or to a social worker. And yes, for most emotionally disturbed persons, that is the option. But for some that are going through a mental crisis, and I say mental crisis, that they're acting irrational and they're committing a crime, the answer is not a social worker and the answer is not a mental hospital. The answer is going to jail. But that's, unfortunately, the politicians don't want us to arrest out of situations anymore. And some people have to go to jail. And it's unfortunate. I do not want to see this Marine Corps veteran go to jail. I think this is exactly what we need to see is not just people filming, but people trying to help other citizens because it's unfortunate. Our police department is shorthanded more than ever. We're suffering from mass exodus. The police that we have now are meek, timid, and docile. They are not trained. They are not supportive, and they cannot give the city the perception of strength and to be that wall that, that, wall that protects everyday citizens. We don't have that perception anymore. And it's leading to this deteriorating subways. The subways, you said it, it's a scary place. My favorite movie in the whole wide world is The Warriors. And The Warriors takes place, right, 1979 on the subways. And the, and the Warriors, the gang of the Warriors is trying to get back from the Bronx to Coney Island. And they take the subways. And it was a scary place. It's graffiti all over. And that's where all the fights happen. And that's exactly where the subways are headed to right now. It's going to look like The Warriors from 1979. I mean... What we saw, what what this is, what this highlights is the failure and incompetence of the whole leftist narrative that we're safer with less police. We're safer with less people in jail. We're safer with letting homeless people run. It's harm reduction, letting people use drugs. I mean, I think everyone, everyone watching that, including the leftists, is saying, well, where's the police? Great question. Where were they? But this is the society that you advocate for every day when you go out there and you say police don't make us safe. Police don't keep us safe. You know, and what we saw again is we saw three untrained males having to deal with an emotionally disturbed person. And even if they were trained, like I've said a million times, people get tunnel vision. Your adrenaline kicks in, your fight or flight comes in, your flight comes in, your frontal lobe shuts down, your cerebral cortex shut down, you revert totally to your training. Minutes, seconds feel like minutes, your time loop is out, your perception of reality is gone. Did he just zero in and he was scared to death and he was hanging on for dear life? That's what it appears to me. And as a supervisor and police, you know, and, and I'm sure Eric went through the same training that I did. You know, we know what could happen 
by doing chest compression, by by choking someone pro for a prolonged time. You know, when we when and and you know, in policing, we're always looking to outnumber people. I never want to fight with you one on one. If you a big tough guy and you're gonna square off with me, I'm gonna get four or five guys to you. We're gonna take you to the ground. We're gonna wrestle with you, put and put you in handcuffs. And on the whole time, I'm gonna make sure that you could breathe. And I'm going to make sure that you're alive. And no one there had that wherewithal to be like, hey, is he okay? Is this guy good? Oh, take your hand off his neck real quick. Let's just hold his arms now. You know, nobody was there because that takes training and that takes the ability to act while your adrenaline's flowing. And while all these different circumstances are happening around you, especially on uh, in a subway car in New York City, you know, and, and none of them were prepared for that. And, and honestly, there was how many people on that train platform? I saw a lot of people not on the platform in that car. I saw a lot of people and not one person said boo. Not one person said boo. So now we're just going to hold the one guy who took it upon himself to take him down accountable. No, it's. Everyone in, in that in that train car is accountable, but everyone in that train car, including Mr. Neely, is a victim. They're a victim of the failed leftist policy. They're a victim of the failed elected of New York City and, and the way of our politicized police department where they let our, po- our police department become diminished and weakened. And we lost our stronghold in New York City, causing our subway systems and our streets to be unsafe. And you're going to see a lot more of this. You know, I you could go back to six, seven, eight months ago. I, I we we were talking about this, and we, you know, we, me and Eric aren't 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 prophets. We're not predicting the future. It's common sense. It's common sense. The less police that's going to happen, people are going to get fed up and say, "We, you know, I got to do something. I can't just stand here." And and what we're going to demonize? No, don't anyone do anything. Just stand there. I mean, even Eric Adams today, we heard him say, "We can't rush the judgment here." I mean, first time I probably agreed with a guy in in probably since he's been the mayor but you know it's it's true i mean what what are we going to tell people is the message is oh don't help anyone watch old ladies get beat up watch women get robbed and and you know like you said he probably would have been he would a matter of fact he would have been a hero he would have been a hero he if if, if mr neely didn't die he would have been a hero three years prior i believe it was on a bus there was a white male acting completely erratic with his shirt off um, and he was flexing on some little kid, and this big dude just came up, put him in a chokehold, boom, put him down on the floor. Guy was Lord of the Hero all over the news, you know, and nobody had a problem with it. But now, all of a sudden, this is a, a not that you know. Listen, not that someone's life being taken shouldn't be shouldn't be investigated thoroughly and properly or taken lightly. But we don't know the cause of his death, um, and if it is determined that the cause of his death was that chokehold was that chokehold reckless I, I for me from how i'm watching and i'm looking at three untrained civilians i don't believe it's reckless i believe that man's scared for his life i agree with you. that's why i say we can i don't believe we could have the same implications for these for these everyday citizens yes he's a marine corps veteran they want to highlight that he's a marine corps veteran and for what you said to try to make the parallel for accountability as an NYPD police officer. That, I think, is completely unfair. It shows bias in this case. It should be no prejudice at all in this particular case, whether Alvin Bragg decides to pursue a case on this or not. It just shows complete bias. So that's why they want to label 
keep highlighting the fact that he's a Marine Corps veteran. But I, I honestly, I, I am impressed that himself and these other two strap hangers actually took it upon themselves to stop something to prevent him possibly. I, I do believe, based on the video and based on everything that we've read so far, I do believe that they saw he was a perceived threat. John, you and I spoke about this. It's unfortunate, and it's kind of comical in some ways. It's kind of part of New York City culture that we see a mostly disturbed mental people in mental crisis every day on New York City subways. Even before this legislation and the politics were upside down in New York City, it was part of the culture where there were people playing music on trains or people trying to hand out uh, gifts uh, for money. Maybe they're, they're deaf, or maybe they're just faking it. We have plenty of people on subways that pretend trying to make money panhandlers. This is part of New York City culture. And we have a mostly disturbed people that sit down, they talk to themselves, uh, or sometimes they do yell out obscenities, but we can kind of make the observation while they are I, I, they're, they are having some type of emotional crisis, they are mentally ill, but we don't see them as a perceived threat. So for these three strap hangers to actually take action, they felt this that Mr. Neely was a legitimate threat. So I do, I do want to compliment them for actually wanting to help. I don't believe that they wanted to kill him at all. I believe they wanted to help. And I kind of correlated to this. You ever watch that show, What Would You Do? I think it was John Quinones. Uh, I think he's the guy that actually ran the show. Do you know it? What? I, I think, right, it's called What Would You Do? And basically the premise of the show is they would go around to restaurants and things like that, and he would, he would pretend to be someone rude and, and, and curse at an old lady and, and, and to see if anyone would actually step in to do the right thing and stop him. And sometimes he would go on for minutes or 10 minutes before someone would actually step in. And that's why we say on the train subways, it's almost like, what would you do? And he did what most people would not by trying to stop what he thought was a perceived threat. But unfortunately the byproduct the outcome of this was a tragic death. But it's unfortunate, and that's why, John, you made this point before on an earlier podcast, and I think it's so important that we highlight this. I don't believe a chokehold in itself or deploying punches is a lethal, a lethal method or lethal device of taking action. But anything can be lethal. So anytime, it, 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 what's unfortunate is that if this particular mental mental ill man that lost his life, that met his demise, if he had gotten the proper treatment, as the politicians starting to say about all these social, if he had gotten the proper treatment, then then the Marine Corps veteran and this mentally ill uh, mentally, Mr. Neely would not have met pass and this would not happen. And that's what's tragic in this. So all the steps, all the programs that were supposed to take place social workers, and all these programs that the city keeps funding. And what we need ultimately is the New York City police. That's what we need. And it's ironic. We hear the politicians so anti-police, but when there's an incident like this ha that happens, they're the first ones to say, where were the police? So I, I ask the politicians now, if you're watching this podcast, there's no in-between. Do you want the police or you don't want the police? Because if you don't have the police, this is a byproduct. And this is not going to be a phenomenon, and it's not, this is not going to be an anomaly as we speak. Going further, this may become the norm.
I'm not saying of tragic deaths, but of people having to take action. And we've seen in the past, we've had vigilantes. I'm not saying this Marine Corps veteran is a vigilante, but we had vigilantes in the past. Case in point, Barney Getz. And if we don't have the police in our operation getting the full support, we may start to get people that are reflective of Bernie Getz. That may, we may get that this may be a, a Charles Bronson movie, you know, you know, where the people have to where it's death wish and they have to take action because the police aren't there to protect if it gets that lawless. I, I do believe we are headed there. It, it's very unfortunate. What do you think, John? I mean, what are you gonna do? I mean, what like what what could you do when crime spikes and you have to go to work every day and you have to live somewhere? What could you do? Be victimized every day or are you gonna fight back? I mean, that this is what happens. I mean, you know, this is this is a normal transition when societies become lawless. You know, good people start to say, "Well, we're not going to be we're not going to be victims anymore either." Well, if the police aren't there for us, we'll be there for ourselves. And and again, I don't even want to get into that. These guys were vigilantes because I really don't believe that at all. Like you said, they did what most people would do, and and just you know, and and another thing, you know, we spoke about it on a, a pod, the last podcast we did. But the other thing that was really just getting to me and, and like I, I, you know, is the bias in the media, because, you know, you see that it's a, it's a male white blonde hair, blue eyes. He looks like Eric Dem. He's a former Marine. He's the guy that's that that has the man in the chokehold. He has Jordan Neely in the chokehold. He's being assisted by a black male and he's being assisted by another white male who's of Slavic descent. who sounds like he has a thick accent. Like he's an immigrant. Like he just came here. And yet we hear how this is a racist incident. We hear racism being spun from everyone. We hear how this, that, that this, this Marine was a bloodthirsty vigilante. And I don't even want to call him a Marine. I want to call him a strap hanger because that's what he was. He was just commuting to work. He wasn't in, not a Marine at that moment in time. He was, I know you're always a Marine and I know people are always cops, but at that moment in that time, he is, just as trained as everybody else on that car to deal with that situation. None at all. None of them are trained. Right. So he, you know, he's a strap hanger going to work or going about his day, wherever he's commuting. And we hear cries of racism and, and I gotta, I gotta bring it up again. And I know we spoke about it again, but I gotta ask you again. If the Marine was black, do you believe that this would be as as big of a media event as it is currently. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I, I don't think that they would try to make the. Uh, I don't think the politicians and the public would try to make the parallel from this incident to the New York City Police Department at all. I I, I actually think they would call him a good Samaritan and say, you know, uh, uh, a black man stepped in to try to subdue another black man that was a, a you know creating a, a havoc society for people on a subway and. And the byproduct, unfortunately, is, is a tragic death, and we need to figure out how to stop these incidents. Uh, but I, I do not think that it would be at this magnitude, and I think it would be looked at with a complete different lens. I agree. I, I, I don't even think that it would get the media coverage that it's getting. I don't believe it would even have the media coverage as the way it is, and I don't believe we would hear the outcry from our politicians. And I, I just want to read a statement from uh, – Adrian Adams. She's the New York speaker uh, for New York City Council. She's the speaker. So she's basically the boss for New York City Council. Also received campaign contributions from the New York City Police Benevolent Association. Um, Jordan Neely 
A statement from Speaker Adams on the killing of Jordan Neely, May 3rd, 2023. Jordan Neely was a New Yorker, a son, and a performer. He should still be alive. My heart and condolences are with his loved ones during this difficult time. His killing at the hand of a fellow passenger and the responses to this violence that took his life have not only been tragic, but difficult to absorb. Racism that continues to permeate throughout our society allows for a level of dehumanization that denies black people from being recognized as victims when subjected to acts of violence. The perceptions of black people have long been interpreted through a distorted racialized lens that aims to justify violence against us. Is it another example of how far we remain from an equitable and just society? Let's be clear. Any possible mental health challenges that Jordan may have experienced were no reason for his life to be taken. The initial response by our legal system to his killing is disturbing and puts on display for the world the double standards that Black people and other people of color continue to face. There must be accountability for his killing and a thorough investigation by the Manhattan District Attorney that accounts for the facts and these realities is critical. Everyone in our city and nation should be reflecting on what this incident represents and says about us. Well, I'll say this. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. First of all, she's right. This is tragic. She's right. He shouldn't have died. She's right. He's a son. All those things are right. We agree. It is tragic. No one wants to see him die. Everyone wants to see him get in custody and get the help he needs. But his at, at that point, he was a threat to other passengers on the train in this strap hanger. Again, let's stop talking about him being a Marine veteran because that's the label to put the power of the NYPD. But this passenger strap hanger stepped in to help because there was a perceived threat. He did not want him to die. It's completely tragic. Absolutely not. But well, you know what I find extremely problematic with that quote? I don't believe there's any racism involved. But I have a problem, and it's mentioned twice. You just read it, and I heard it twice. Is us. I have a problem with a politician saying it hurts us, and at the end, again, us. As a politician, you should represent all the residents of New York City. I don't care what district you work in, but I hate hearing the word us. She is completely making it a racist issue. She's the racist. That's what I say. It's creating division. It's 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 bringing to light. And my thing is this: like you're going to point to racism. What's racist, and who's the racist one? Now, don't just throw that claim out there and talk about us killing us and the way we're treated. Are you saying that that are you saying that that strap hanger with blonde hair was racist, but the other two weren't? The other two that were assisting him weren't. The other people on the train car weren't racist. Was it just the blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy that was racist? Because to me, she's the racist. Because that's the only thing I think she could be talking about. Because when she's talking about the system, 
You're talking about a black Manhattan district attorney who's far left decarceral DA who decided he was not going to charge this man at this time. You're talking about a police department that's led by a black woman who who said that she's here to, to make change in New York City Police Department, strengthen the relationship through communities. You're talking about a mayor who's a black man in New York City. You're talking about his deputy commissioner of public safety, who's another black man. Who specifically is racist inside of this justice system against black people? And how are black people treated differently? To me, I'm seeing that white people are treated differently. I'm seeing that this male is being hung and being accused of murder because he has blonde hair and blue eyes. That's what I see. That's what I hear out of that statement. Because you didn't label out what racism is. Or are we just using this to further divide? And, and I, I think you said, you said it best. Nobody that is in an elected office should be using such terms. It's disgusting. It's a divisive statement. And for all of you common sense caucus and all of you pretend moderate Democrats, whether you're in city council, state assembly, wherever you are, for you not to be going and attacking this woman's statement and saying that you need her to retract this statement and want an apology right now or you want her to resign, you're a coward and you don't deserve to be where you are either. I think I think we could actually we could dress this up in so many different angles and get a different outcome and a different response by the public. I think we talked about this offline. But if we were to superimpose this Marine Corps veteran with an NYPD uniform, we would get a completely different response. It would be completely exacerbated even more than it is right now. If we were to superimpose this Marine Corps veteran as a black man, we would get a different response. If we were to superimpose this strap hanger as a black police officer, we would get a different response. And ultimately, what I mean by that is it's not about it's not about the actual incident anymore. It's about how does this incident relate to identity politics? That's a shame. Nothing's biased anymore. It, it, you, what, what's scary about this is that the the leftists, these anti-police advocates, talk about bias and prejudice. And the only ones I see to be biased and prejudiced is, is this leftist movement. Because you and I are complete moderates. We're not far to the left. We're not far to the right. We're here to support America. And what we're saying is it's a complete tragic incident. But it's unfortunate in a situation like this, this, this uh, Mr. Neely, Jordan Neely, did not get the help he needs. And he was a threat. And it's this is happening moment to moment. This is happening real time. And these three strap hangers felt they had a duty to protect everyone else. Maybe they were young. Maybe they were uh, they were in better shape than everybody else. So they were in a better position. Maybe it was elderly people on the pass on the train. I don't know what passengers were on there, but they felt they had a duty to help other New Yorkers. And it's unfortunate because now other people that watch it say to themselves, "Well, if something ever happens, I'm not going to help." So everyone's just going to watch something happen. Like God forbid, someone tries to rape a woman. Are we are, are we not going to step in to help? I mean, sometimes sometimes we can't always rely on the police. There's only, only so many police officers out there, and now it's more diminished than it ever has because of the politicians and the legislation. You asked for this. I'm saying this to politicians. You asked to have a diminished police department. You said defund the police. The police are, 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 have a miserable job right now. You asked me to be a New York City police officer, the worst job in America right now. Nobody wants this job. The, so, But now you're saying the police aren't handling. 
the, the police department does not have the same capacity that they did before. So now we're left for citizens to help. But I think we do have a duty sometimes to help in some certain situations. Hey, listen, if there's a little argument, a dispute, I mean, case-by-case -case basis, but if someone is a perceived threat, Maybe, maybe they thought he might have a gun on him, a knife, and they felt it was necessary to get him in a position that he can't get to his hands. We don't know. Maybe he was saying he had a knife. Maybe the Marine felt he had to choke him so he doesn't get to his pockets. We don't know. And that's why we have to let an investigation play out so we actually get the final determination. And a toxicology along with that is very important. We have to stop jumping to conclusion. But to say it's racist, I asked the politicians out there, tell me, please, what exactly did you see on that video other than the color of their skin that was indicative that there was some type of signs of racism? John, what do you think that what do you think that a politician would say that in that particular incident is racist other than the color of their skin? No, they that, that's exactly what it is. They're the racist one. She is obviously has a problem with white people. Adrian yes. Adams is a racist. I mean, she says it clear as day that racism plays a role in it the only and and you know and you and you made a brilliant uh, analogy when you said you know replace it doesn't matter about the incident doesn't matter about the facts doesn't matter about the law all it matters is there was a black man and a white man right but and reverse the roles make jordan nearly a white guy make jordan nearly a white guy you're not getting the press you're getting you're not getting the response from city council that you're getting it's going to be like, oh, you know, well, he was a danger. These people are untrained. He's a strap hanger, good Samaritan. Totally, totally different, you know. And it's these, these people are really insane. Like this, this is the problem with politics. This is why we need to take back politics in New York City. We, we really do need real, actual people. We need people who are true moderates like Madeline Bram, people like uh, Jennifer Harrison. We need people that actually care, people that are going to go out and do the things because they care, not because they're in it to make money, not because they're in there to show the Democratic Party that they could be the far leftists that they want. And again, this is this is the society that they asked for. Right. You, re you remember. And, you know, as much as I'll I always say Eric Adams, he always says sometimes he says the right things, but he never does it. He never does because for a year and a half, what do we hear? Subway safe, subway safe, right? What do we hear from Chief of Transit? Subway safe, subway safe. It's the perception of fear we're fighting. It's not the actual thing of fear. But I'm going to read something to you from uh, New York City Council member Tiffany Caban. This is on 9 September 26, 2022. Subway violence is a one in a million event. As a believer in a free New York City, a violence-free New York City. I still think that's one too many, but let's not let fear-mongering politicians and corporate media outlets scare us into thinking we have a dangerous and scary public transit system. It appears pretty dangerous and scary to me, Tiffany. You know, and, and, when, and when I'm saying where are the police, I'm not actually knocking the NYPD. I'm knocking the appointed management and our elected officials who said that the New York City subways are safe. They're telling you, you're safe down there. There's nothing to worry about. So then why do, do people commuting have to work, have to get involved in violent struggles with emotionally disturbed people? Why did that need to happen for so, so long? And guess what? If the cops were there, Jordan Neely would probably more than likely still be alive today.
That's a powerful message. I, I agree with you. And that's why I I want to ask you, John, if for some reason you appoint a New York City mayor today, and this is on the verge of potential riots, what would be your message? I would say exactly what he said today. I think today what he said was was on point. He was 100% on point. Let this investigation play out. We failed everyone on that train. We failed Jordan Neely. We failed that Marine. We failed every passenger on New York City subway that day, even the people that weren't in that subway car. We failed. We have to do better. Um, let this investigation play out. This is not a racist incident. These people are commuting to work every day. And if any, there is, this is not murder. Let's be clear right off the bat. This man did not leave his house to kill somebody. So let's get that out. And we will not accept any rioting in New York City whatsoever. And anybody that does it will be placed under arrest. It's that simple. I, I agree with you 100%. And, and that's why I, my next question is, why, why do you think that the, why, why do you think that the angry mob is now directing their their hate and their anger towards the NYPD in response to this incident? It's just this anti-police sentiment. It's a racist anti-police sentiment. We just what do we what do we just learn two weeks ago? That whites are no longer the majority, right? Non-white people are the majority of the NYPD. Yet somehow, in a city where we have a black mayor. In a city where we have a black police commissioner, we have a black deputy commissioner of public safety, and the overwhelming majority of the police department is non-white, it's riddled with white supremacy, supposedly. And white supremacy killed this man, that blonde hair, blue-eyed guy, and, and they're making that connection to the police department. These, this is, people want to abolish the police. Defund the police was was 2020. It was only one step. We, Eric Adams helped defund the police. Eric Adams should get the crown. He should get, he should have a belt. We should give him a trophy. He's the defund the police champion. He used the vaccine mandate to dwindle his numbers. And this is what we're seeing. And we're continuing further by the crazy legislation that started in, I want to say it even started before 2018. It started around 2014, right when Bill de Blasio came in. We started to see all this crazy policy and legislation. It just got real loony in 2018. Uh, but there was already problems with NYPD policy and legislation that came in starting right when Bill de Blasio got into office. And it's, it's slow, incremental steps to abolishing the police. And that's what we're seeing. And this crowd knows it. And every opportunity that they get, what do we see? The politicians and most of these people are paid agitators. I don't care what anybody tells me. I don't have any proof of it, but I don't care what anyone. They just happen to pop up whenever whenever things go go leery, and it's always the same people. Um, I believe it's all sl they always ready to pounce to take more and more away. And what do we see when that happens? More residents flee, more cops leave, less cops take the job. Congratulations, police commissioner, on your 327 people that you got to enter the police academy to try to replace mine and Eric classes that were close to 2,000 people. And out of that 327 people, you'll be lucky if if 280 make it through the academy and then if any of them make it past their third year. I actually, I actually want to look at this from another angle also. I'm not saying this is what happened, but since the pol the politicians and the legislative body at this point 
want to look at every case by case basis and say, well, we need a social worker there. We need to address a, a mental crisis that's happening in our city. And and Jordan Neely, as tragic as it is, yes, he was obviously emotionally disturbed and, and suffering from some type of mental illness or an induced response to some type of substance that he may or may not be taking, which we'll find out from a toxicology, I hope, hopefully soon. But at the same token, why are we not looking at the, if that's the case, why are we not looking at the Marine Corps veteran slash strap hanger the same way? Why are we not saying that, hey, maybe he's suffering from some type of mental crisis? Maybe he's mentally ill also. Maybe that's why he, he took the stance that he did and, and, and stepped in. We don't know. But since we're always given the benefit of the doubt to everyone that they may be suffering from some type of mental crisis, why are we not giving this Marine Corps veteran that maybe he's suffering from some type of mental crisis as well? That's a great point. And why are we, if we, and if at the same time we're, we're open the jails and jail isn't the answer, why is jail the answer for him? It's a great, great point. Exactly. exactly. And that's why I'm saying that's why, unfortunately, I think this is just, this is reflective that. At this point, I think in a democratic city that uh, race is a major factor in, in how your case will be handled. Shall you be in some type of tragic incident or, or police-related incident? And it's unfortunate. I now think that the white people are, are being discriminated against on, 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 a, on a different level. It's really unfortunate. 54%, and you said the overwhelming majority, 54% of the New York City Police Department is reflective of black and brown. And New York City itself is an is extremely diverse city. I don't know exactly where in the subway this was, but what, what the demographics of where the subway riders were on the particular train. But again, I really think that it's reflective of the politicians that what we see on a majority of these cases is when, when, when our adversary is black, the benefit of that is maybe they're suffering from some type of mental crisis. But the, this Good Samaritan has not been viewed as potentially having the same type of, of potential mindset. But it's because he's white. And, and that, that honestly, it's sad, but it, it's completely, it's just completely discriminatory. And I've heard this term before, reverse racism. I really have no idea what that means. Discrimination is discrimination. Yeah, and what the hell is a white person anyway in New York City, in the New York City Police Department? Who's the evil white man? What <laughs> I was the white cop. It's a first-generation Russian guy, a first-generation Polish guy, a first-generation Albanian, um, a first-generation every every type of almost every type of European descent that you're first-generation here, and 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 there are a large percentage of the police department currently they're white, right? Then what do you get? You get the second-generation guys, poor Jewish kid, poor Italian kid, poor Irish kid. Who is the evil white man in the New York City Police Department that is 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 pushing down this white supremacy? Like, who is it? Who is it? So honestly, when when, when I hear white supremacy and I hear that black people are being treated differently and black people are, are they, they are being treated differently. They're being put up on a pedestal and everyone else is being treated as racist. With absolutely not one shred or iota of evidence that that is the case, that that is the case at all. So there is there is a huge bias in the New York City Police Department. There's a huge bias in our criminal justice system. There's a huge bias in our schools. There's a huge bias in everything in New York City at this point, And no one's pointing it out. And again, like I said, we the majority of this racist rhetoric that came into the New York City Police Department 
was brought in by the hands of white men who were poor immigrant or children of poor immigrants. And they came in pretending that we're this white supremacist uh, organization. Absolute insanity in the most diverse city in the world, in the most diverse department in the world. And this kind of trash from the speaker in New York City Council. I say, don't defund the police. Don't abolish the police. If anybody, let's abolish city council. I agree with you 100%. I think it's a fantastic statement you make it. I actually would even like to spin this whole thing and say, actually, yes, say, if, if uh, our viewers have an opportunity to watch the podcast we put out today, and that podcast, we actually talked about the red flags that police officers are have now been given as a, a minority report. They've been flagged as potential for being uh, for, for police officers that may have misconduct. And there's three caveats to it. One is that they have three civilian complaints in a year. The other one is that they had three cases declined for prosecution by the district attorney's office. And the other one is that they've actually have been accused of racial profiling. But the irony here is I think that the police department is the one that's being racially profiled right now. And, and I can just use myself an example. I was racially profiled by the civilian complaint review board. I think most of the most of the cops that are 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 high on the the civilian complaint review board, uh, the civilian complaint review board list of on 58 are white males, uh, and they do intrusive police work, which which uh, fits into my category completely. And the irony to that is, uh, I mean, exactly what you said, white male. I've been racially profiled to be a proud boy, to be a right wing extremist. I think it's it's completely uh, it's laughable. I mean, I had a bar mitzvah when I was 13 years old. Uh, I've had family members that were wiped out in the Holocaust, but yet somehow I'm some type of proud boy because of the color of my skin. So I believe that I, along with other white males, have been racially profiled because of the color of our skin. Absolutely. Just completely discriminated. If you look right now in the 50A, most of the cops and supervisors that are high up on that list are white males. Absolutely. White males that do intrusive police work. And again, it's uh, it's ironic. I laugh when they accuse me of being a white supremacist. I had a bar mitzvah. It's it, it's hysterical. But because of the because I have blonde hair and blue eyes, I'm boxed into this this criteria and this category by this leftist movement. Eric, let me ask you: the guys that are flagged for profiling and using racial slurs, do you think that we'll see an overwhelming majority of one type of one type of police officer like do you think it would be totally white all white males do you think racial profiling was designed to go after white police officers absolutely absolutely and and, and the irony to that is and, and i'm not i'm not na knocking the police officers but the irony to that is the police officers within the new york city police department that actually use uh the that type of language that may be offensive for some, but is normal in certain communities, and, and this is the reality, are done by black and brown officers. I, I've I've watched black and brown officers talk amongst each other and use words that I would never be allowed to use. And I've watched them actually interact with the public and the public interact with them and use words that I would never use. But it was totally fired. okay. You would and get fired for it. Hate speech. It would be, according to the disciplinary matrix, I would get... Uh, I, I would have hate hate speech weaponized against me, and I would be terminated. 
Yeah, I mean, and I think everyone knows the word that we're talking about. It starts with an N, right? Yeah. On every rap song. If I said it right now, my whole podcast would be deplatformed, right? The Absolutely. whole podcast would be deplatformed. And yet it's perfectly fine for black and brown officers to use it at no problem. But we'll be fired if we use it, even though it's part of our daily culture, even though the people that we grew up with say it 50,000 times a day, the people we work with say it, it's on our radio station. I mean, I believe that these racial slurs are kept in society by the people who claim they don't like it. You know, I, I, you know, there's words that, 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 you know, there's racial slurs to describe Jewish people and Italians that we don't hear. You know why? Because we don't call each other. it. We don't sing songs about it. Um, and it's there really is a huge bias against the supposed white man. You know, it's a huge bias and it's built up on lies. And I mean, and you could see it right there. And, and that statement by Adrian Adams and I, and I, I can't even look at it, but I did see other tweets from city council people and it's disgusting and it turns my stomach and it, it pains me that these people get paid. Honestly, I really, I really think we're at the crossroads in New York City. I really think that these positions should stop earning a salary and see who's <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. I, I don't think that you should be paid to do these jobs anymore. I think these should be volunteer jobs. You see them at every day anyway. They're never at their offices. Their offices are never staffed. They don't, they're not there for their community. Make it a non-paying job or make it a small stipend. You get $15,000 a year. You get $1,000 a month. You know, like do that do that job because you care about the people, not because it's a grift to make money. Uh, these these people, this is just division and hate. And by making that statement, that's exactly what it does. It causes all of us to have tribalism. Like, whoa, what are you trying to say? Why why am I racist? Why is this person? And we all sect out when we should be when we should be coming together instead of dividing each other. It's absolutely ridiculous. John, you brought up a great point. You actually, I'm sitting here. I was thinking to myself, honestly, I was like, yeah, that's a really good point. Like, what is a white man? I, I mean, because I have I have relatives that that actually emanated from Italy. Um, on, on a side through, through marriage, they're not Jewish, but and uh, they're from Sicily. And, and and what I've learned from them is that there's a uh, there's a big African descent amongst Sicilians. And so, how, how can you just say Italians are white? Or, or, or Jewish people are white. I, I think that's a great point. Everybody. What is a white man? I, other I than the color of the skin, I don't. I, what do you think? What do you think they think by that? I think that's a great point. I, I don't know. I have cousins that African American. They were they were born in Libya. They lived in Sicily. They lived in Sicily. Their parents worked in Libya. They were born in Libya. They're African Americans. They look like me. Some of them actually have blonde hair and blue eyes. They look like you. That's a good point. They're Sicilian and they were born in Africa. You know, and and they were born in Libya. I don't know what the evil white man is. I, I know I know it's not my father. I look at you know I I I, I look at all these videos in in that they they gave to us, and I'm like, my father's father was dead when he was ten. He grew up in the projects on the Lower East Side. His mother was mentally ill. I'm like, the guy had no chances in life whatsoever. He had nothing ahead of anybody. You know, went to war, uh, was injured in war, won a Purple Heart, came back, got treated like shit. The guy had every excuse to be, you know. He came from nothing. Yeah, he came from absolutely nothing. He had nothing, and and I'm like, what what was his opportunity? So I he he bore me. He he made my life better. Um, not that he had much, but he gave me the opportunity of being in this country, right? And and like and and I was able to grow out of it. 
and, and do well for myself and better than he ever had or his, fa- or his father ever had, I probably have more now than, than my father and my grandfather and, and his father combined. But yet somehow I'm, we're descended from where white, I'm a, a POM, a, a police officer, male white. And I'm like, what? What is white? Who's white? Who's the Who's the evil <laughs> white name amongst us? I want to know. Like, who is it? You know. I, I actually got a question for you. This is kind of, it's just going back, but it just made me think because of looking at this from different angles and perception of and 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 really putting the motivation on identity politics. What if Jordan Neely was transgender, or what if this Marine Corps veteran was transgender? What do you think the outcome would be, and what do you think the what do you think the perception would be? If Jordan Neely was transgender, it would be riots in the street today. The same way that as if that Marine was wearing a police uniform. There would be riots in New York City and probably across the country today. If we reversed it and we put the Marine as a transgender, I don't believe we would get the media coverage that we're getting today. I don't believe this would be a national incident. I don't believe they would have people in New York City subways screaming fuck the police and fuck 12 and all this other bullshit. And I don't believe we would be getting cries of racism. I agree 100%. I think that would be a deflection from from this, uh, from this the outcome that we're getting right now. Absolutely. It, it, it's 100%. And, and I, I know I made that point, and, and I guess it sounds kind of comical because I'm just giving all these different scenarios because I just want to highlight that it ultimately that Every incident that happens, police-related or not police-related, but a situation like this, it ultimately comes out to how does it look? How does it look, and who do we see? And and, and it's unfortunate, but if I was if I was in a room of politicians right now, I could imagine that I would hear, "What did he look like?" I I, I would assume. I I I don't know if it's nice to assume. But I would assume that that's probably the first question is, what did he look like? And I think that as soon as as soon as the identity of this good Samaritan was revealed, that that dictates where the, that ultimately dictates where this is going to go. I think that's brilliant. I think honestly, I think you just summed up exactly every incident in New York City that we've seen and police related incidents. Doesn't really matter what happens. Doesn't real the facts do not matter. The only thing that matters is the color of someone's skin, their gender, or their sexual preference. The actual facts of the incident be are secondary to those. I, I agree hundred percent. That's why I, I, I again I even say if this if this Marine Corps veteran ever has an opportunity to give a press conference, I think if he was to come out and say that he's homosexual or that he's had, uh, he's actually been going through some type of sex change, I think that the narrative would change immediately. And, and I think he would go from criminal to, uh, to victim and, uh, and, need, and need our support. And, and it's unfortunate. I just think that ultimately it's all about identity politics. And, and the question is now, how do, we, how do we shift back to common sense ideology, just normal thinking? I mean, how do we even get here? How do we get here? It, it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I, I told you, and I, and I say this, in 1999, I listened to the Marine Corps, and you had to sign paperwork, that, uh, sworn paperwork that says you're not homosexual and you will not engage in homosexual activity. Now, I'm not saying I agree with that. I have no issues if someone, who they love, 
I have no issues on uh, someone dresses, but the point is, in only in 24 years, a short amount of time, how everything has changed completely, and and, and you know now the ambassador for the navy right now is is transgender. The ambassador for Bud Light was was transgender, so it, it's becoming a, a, a manufactured shift. Like I said, I have no issues, John. I, I know you're not, but if you told me you were gay today, I'd still love you. You know, if I told you, John, hey, listen, you know what? I'm gay. I think you have no issues with it. Or we wanted to become women. There's no issue. But it's now becoming it's becoming the platform that we stand on that should bear no that should bear no decision making at all. The bottom line is, was this a justified takedown, a justified hold to stop someone from potentially hurting others? Or was it criminal nature? It shouldn't matter if he's white. It shouldn't matter if he was, I think you made a great point. Let's stop calling Marine. Let's call him strap hanging. It shouldn't matter if he was a Marine. It shouldn't matter if he was gay, if he's straight. But but I think that does matter because as the investigation comes out, if we find out that he is gay, I think that will change everything. You know, and that that it's unfortunate, but it shouldn't matter. We shouldn't ask these questions at all. Who does he love? How does he live his life? It shouldn't matter. It should matter about this decision right now. Did he perceive a threat? And was his intentions meant for good? Was it in good faith? And I believe it was. It's tragic, but I believe it was in good faith. And you know what gets lost in all of it? That I didn't hear from one elected official. How do we prevent this from happening again? We don't, nobody cares. Nobody cares. They're not even they're not even talking about it. They're not even talking about it at all. How do we prevent this from happening again? How do we prevent where untrained people have to take a mentally, emotionally disturbed person down to the ground in New York City subways on New York City streets? How do we restore order in our subway systems and on our streets? I think me and Eric could blue in the face to we've Gave the example a million times. We go back to the broken windows theory of policing. I mean, this is going to sound crazy to say, and it's a, it's a it's a big accusation. But I, I have to say this: I, I think that these politicians actually want this to happen. I know it sounds crazy to say, but because it, it just builds their platform. It builds their narrative because if they really believed in protecting citizens, they wouldn't say inflammatory statements as such. They would say something on the lines of what Adam said. You know what? Let the investigation play out. You know, let's treat each other with respect. Let's have open discussion so this doesn't happen again. Everyone here loses. If he's found to be uh, uh, criminalized, he lost. And, and Jordan Neely lost. And the other strap hangers that were trying to help, they lost because their lives will never be the same. Whether they get convicted or not, their lives will never be the same because they were unlucky to be put in that position to ride the subway that day, and it changed their lives forever. No, why isn't anybody talking about the mental aspect of how they're feeling right now? I'm sure this Marine is feeling terrible, this veteran is feeling terrible right now that, that, that this happened. Why isn't anybody saying that? Why isn't anybody asking him how he feels? I'm sure he feels terrible. Oh, I'm sure he's suicidal. 
I'm sure there's plenty of people that were on that subway car that are suicidal now. Oh, I should have did this. Oh, if only I saw this. I'm sure the other two guys are thinking the same thing. I can't believe I didn't do it. I can't believe I didn't. How would you know? Hindsight's 2020, right? No one knew he was going to die because I truly believe that those other two guys thought they were doing the right thing and he was fine too. And they were just holding him for the police. I mean, because you could see the calmness in them, right? And, and you know, the guy that was too busy videotaping, I didn't hear him dialing 911. You know, I mean, and that's, you know, I, everyone, like you said, everyone on that subway cause life is going to be altered forever. And every, that is a traumatic event. That is a completely traumatic event. And mm-hmm. I don't think that we're downplaying the death of Jordan Neely. Where at all, at all. What we're saying is how the hell do we prevent this? What went wrong? And let's have an honest conversation about what happened. Let's have an honest conversation. Let's not convict somebody who really, honestly, from like watching that video, I, I just, I don't see it, but it's not, you know, we're not the judge and jury. Um, so, I mean, unfortunately, there is going to be an investigation and more than likely there will be a, a trial about this. But he's already found guilty by our politicians. And honestly, I believe it's slander. I believe he has a case. I believe they should be sued personally. I don't believe the city of New York should indemnify them for these inflammatory statements. I, I you know, you want to talk about qual- pulling qualified immunity. I do not believe New York City residents and New York City taxpayers should have to foot the bill for the slander that they're putting on people. Um, absolutely outrageous. All the members of New York City Council that made this statement and all the ones who haven't spoke back at this. And that goes for everybody. There's a big problem. Uh, New York City's lost right now. Truly is. I I honestly think that the the statement the statement by uh, Adrian Adams that you read I think is is just completely heartless. And I think that if I was the family of, of Jordan Neely right now, I would be completely insulted and hurt by that because why are you not you not making this about Jordan Neely? Now you said us. You're making this about you and about your platform. This should be about Jordan Neely and about Jordan Neely's family and say hey. How do we, how do we, again, as you said, how do we look at this family and how do we protect other families from this happening again? How do we prevent other, other passengers from having to step in into being good Samaritans? Something like this doesn't happen. I mean, we do not need untrained, untrained passengers, police in the trains. We, We don't, but it's unfortunate. They've been put in a position where they may have to listen. Yes. The legislation could be perfect. The politicians could be completely supportive. The police department could be perfect. And this could still happen. But the problem is it's happening more often than it should. And we could already foreshadow that this can happen more often. It's in a state of crisis right now. This is not normal the way New York City is running. New York City is the most vibrant city in the world. And every day we, we read about the crime crisis and how it's just deteriorating and businesses are leaving. It's not the same New York. It's not. I, re- I remember I spoke to someone the other day in Florida. They actually said to me, are you from the new New York or the old New York? And I said, wow, it's, it's interesting the way you said it. I said, actually, I guess, I guess it's the old New York, but it's not the same New York. John, I think you agree on that. No, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, when I go back to New York, it doesn't feel like the New York I'm from. My fond memories of New York are about eight years ago. 
like truly even before COVID, New York, the vibe has changed, you know, and I like everywhere I go in Florida, the vibe is completely different. It's like alive, you know, reminds me of when I was a kid in New York City, it reminds me I was a kid in Brooklyn and every and it's where everybody wanted to be, you know, it's not a great city, you know, as far as like beauty wise, it's not beautiful. The streets are dirty. There's garbage everywhere. There's <laughs> everywhere. But there was this vibe there, right? You could go, you could eat anywhere, you could be anywhere. New York City streets were alive, winter, summer. There was not a place I wanted to be. And now I, I wanted to be besides there. And now when I go there, I'm like, what, the, what is this? It's terrible. Nobody wants to be there. Everyone's miserable. Everyone's fleeing. It's, it really is. It's like, and then they're trying to paint the hell, they're trying to say, like, oh, People are trying to paint this tar- terrible narrative about New York City. It's like, no, this is the consensus of feeling. This isn't a narrative. The narrative is that they're trying to paint is New York City's a, 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 a systemically racist place, which is insane. Because even when 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 racism was prevalent in this country, it wasn't prevalent in New York City. You know, were there racist? Yeah, there's always racist. And right now, there's a ton of racist in New York City Council, but they're not white. You know. John, John, what you just said is amazing because it's just totally reflective of my childhood and my experience in New York City. Like, I remember going to Spumoni Gardens and LMB and getting pizza and literally sitting next to a garbage can and there's just paper plates all over. And sometimes you'd see rats, but still you sat there in the, eating the pizza and you had the best time. And I remember at the time kids moving to Florida and things like that. And I never, ever thought I like. Who the hell wants to go there? Like, I never thought I want to go to Florida. I didn't care. You could have the garbage all over. Winter sucked, but it was still a great place. It was, it was nostalgic. Nostalgic. It was just something about New York City that was like no other place like it. And now I'm in Florida, and I couldn't even, I couldn't be happier. I say to myself, I, I don't want to go back there. It's not the same place. It's just like the NYPD. It's, it's the same patch, but a different job. You know what? It's the same buildings, but it's a different city. It's not the same. It doesn't feel the same. The people aren't the, don't act the same. It, the whole vibe is completely changed. And John, you know what I'm talking about. You know that vibe in New York City, and you, you would see people you know. And and back back when I was young, and John, you remember this? You know when you go, hey, what's up, dickhead? You fucking asshole. That was a term of endearment. And you hug each other. Now you couldn't even say that to each other. Everybody would get offended. Whoa, what, what are you saying? We've lost that. It, it, it's sad. That's the New York I remember. It, it, it was great. It really was. Not like when when the riots died down in 2020, and we were still getting the protests. Like we had protests for months after that, like 20, 30, you know, a, a day across the city. Right? We still probably get about 10, 15 protests a day across New York City. But there was a lot of protests at that time. But they they turned where they weren't rioting anymore. They were just people protesting. And I remember going to those protests and I just used to, I, I literally, I couldn't take it anymore. Cause it was like, you know, you're out there so many hours and you're just doing it, you're sweating. You're like, and I used to talk to the young kids sometimes that would protest. I was like, you know what I used to do when I was your age? I used to go to clubs and I used to look for girls. I was like, well, you losers, you know what you do? You come here and you protest to try to find girls. You don't even know what you're protesting about half of you. And they're laughing. And I'm like, because they know it's true. Half the times they get there, they're like, what's going on here? And then they start protesting like that. Would, that's their party. Like I'm like, I used to just guy with those clubs. There was lounges Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, China Club Mondays, all these clubs. Ah, China Club. 
every every night of the week, you know, and and like now it's just protesting and and just crime everywhere, and it's the dirty city. Still have some good restaurants, but I'll tell you right now, I know the top chefs in New York City that are down here now. That were top chefs in the top restaurants in New York City that are no longer there. They work elsewhere. They work in majority in Florida. And when I was a kid and somebody left for Florida, you know what happened? A year later, they were right back. When somebody went to New Jersey, a year later, they were right back. That doesn't happen. Now people leave. They leave for good. I love New York City. New York City will always be where I'm from. But I don't love what New York City is right now. I love the NYPD, but I don't love what the NYPD is right now. Dude, I couldn't have said it better, man. Yeah, that that's exactly how I feel to a T. I remember that as a kid, same thing. The kids that left for Florida, you, you know what a year they were coming back. Like, what happened? I just didn't work out. They, they didn't have good pizza. You know, the people they didn't talk to you. But it's totally flipped. Honestly, Florida's great. I love it. You know what? It's it's completely changed because it's not the same New York City. I I, I don't miss it. What I missed. What I miss was a long time ago. The New York City I missed was a long time ago, so I've accepted that already. So it's not like we left the New York City we once knew. That New York City is way behind us. I I, I mean, I hope it comes back someday, but I I just don't know. It just uh, every day I I I look at these articles. It's what the hell just happened here? What's going on? What's going on in the cities? It's and with all this technological advancement and artificial intelligence, I mean, they don't even want police anymore. Pretty soon it's going to be all robots. You won't see cops. Yeah, it's a totally black-run city, and yet white supremacy has just taken over. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> I don't understand it. It's all black and brown, the whole city, but white supremacy is everywhere. You know, you just got to look under every rock to try to find it. You have to dig every hole to try to find it. They do construction. They dig all the way down. They can't find it, but it's there somewhere. If we just keep looking, we're going to find it. You know, it's an absolute joke. I hope this kid gets a fair trial. I hope he gets a fair investigation. This is heavily politicized. It's not right. Our justice system's being upended. The way that things are being reported is being reported wrong. It's not, we're, we're not giving the facts. You know, probably most people that listen to this will say we sided with him because he's a Marine, because he's a white guy. I don't care what color his skin is. I don't care who he slept with. I know Eric feels the same. We're just going off the truth of the matter. This dude was going to work and he intervened to help other people. And now we're calling him a bloodthirsty vigilante. It's and and a racist. I mean, we are lost. The elected in New York City need to go every single one of them. That's it. I mean, this, this, this is a clear highlight on everything that's wrong with New York City. And it's a clear highlight on why police are needed. You know, I, I have to be honest. I, I, I hope at this point that any outlets out there that have this video, that put it out, I, I, I would like to make a request, actually, to any news channels out there. Any news channels or YouTube or any sites out there, if you're going to put out this video, if you could superimpose Jordan Neely into uh, just a figure and, and also the Marine veteran and take out the color of his skin and somehow superimpose it into just a, an image, I'd appreciate it because I, I, I hope just when people watch it that they start to get a different perception. And uh, let's, uh, let's, 
actually look at the incident itself and stop looking at the color of their skin. Let's remove ourselves from identity politics. Let's emotionally detach from this. And let's just look at this from a non-biased perspective. And unfortunately, I do think that this video needs to be encrypted with some digital form and take out their colors in order so that we can just remove these subliminal messages of identity politics. And I think that's the only step towards fairness by the court of public opinion. Because it's unfortunate today. It's not about the court system. Is I, John, you say it best. Uh, uh, Lady, uh, Lady Justice is not blind anymore. It's about the court of public opinion. So in order for the, co for the court of public opinion to be appropriate, I think that needs to be done. Probably should be done on everything going forward. I think it's too late for this one, but I think going forward it should be done, honestly, because that's that's all we're seeing. We're not we're, we're not colorblind anymore. That's all we see is color. It's it's a shame. It really is. It really is a shame. And I and I don't and I just really don't believe that that is the majority of America feels like that in any shape or form. White, black, brown, yellow, whatever you want to say. I don't believe that the the overwhelming majority of people see color. But I believe our politicians, our race hustlers, and everybody that wants to drum up drama and drum up uh, hate and division, they're the ones that see color. They're pushing it on us for us to do it. Let's not buy into it. Let's smack them back by telling them who they are. They're the racists, not us. Um, anything Anything else you got on this? Well, I think we covered all the points. I mean, I you think there's anything that we left out so far? I think we covered the point of the angle. It's looked at by identity politics. Ultimately, about training. I, th I think the last thing that we, we could discuss real quick is why do we believe the NYPD is targeted? And it's almost that the uh, this angry mob is trying to conform this and, and make people believe that who haven't read it in NYPD incident. And how are they actually pulling this off? I mean, I don't think they're pulling it off. You know, everyone's saying that they're protesting the death. But if you really listen to what they're saying, they're saying, fuck the police. Fuck, yes. fuck this. The, I mean, I don't know, man. I, th there is zero connection. It's the, it, This is the same. They'll just always try to push the narrative. This is the same narrative when, in, when we saw Memphis, the Tyree Nichols death. When they were trying to say it was racism, right? They just need to continue to push that police are bad and police are racist. So any way, shape, or form that they could do that, they'll do that. The man was released. Why was he released? He was released after conferral with the district attorney, and it's on the it's on the black district attorney in New York City. So it's not the white racist New York City Police Department. So I, I don't I don't know, but and I don't know why they're doing it, and I don't I don't believe they're getting away with it. I believe that you know there there are people that are getting brave, braver, you know, and speaking up and saying the truth. Like this, this has nothing to do with the police department. It really doesn't. The only the only thing the only way the police department is held accountable at this point is for the money that we're spending in transit. The, the chief of New York City Transit. Uh, not not New York City Transit, but yes, the MTA chief, because we have MTA police too, and New York and the NYPD's chief of transit, they should be held accountable. Where were your officers? Why was the response so long? Yeah, I'd also like to highlight that I think, John, you and I have been completely fair. Uh, I, I've been on social media now since uh, September, um, maybe uh, sept uh, more October, November. I've been on social media and expressing my views about policing and about the politics of New York City. 
John, you've been on much longer than I am, and you're very expressive uh, in regards to uh, the, uh, the atrocities and the failures of New York City, and, and particularly with Mayor Eric Adams. But I think it's extremely fair, and I want to highlight the fact that you and I both, uh, you know, we applaud Eric Adams for his statement today. It shows accountability and responsibility to keep a city at quell, and it was the correct statement. So I just want the message uh, out there for the public to understand that we don't have any bias or any hatred towards politicians, but we want to seek the truth and we want accountability and for them to be liable and understand that their words are extremely powerful and impactful to an entire city. And if we, and the truth has to be sought out. And, and if we believe that what they said is appropriate, even as someone that we, we constantly disagree with and, and we don't agree with the ideology, if they say something appropriate, we will say it. And, and on this, like I said, I, John, I applaud you for the tweet that you put out in regards to Eric Adams' statement today. I thought it was a great statement. What I do hope is that I, I honestly, it really, it's, it's, it's very humble of you to do that because you are very expressive of the failures and, and it's his rubber stamp that caused you to to uh, to leave the NYPD. So for the for that fact that you actually put out that tweet, tweet, it just says a lot about your character and the person that you are. So I, I I applaud you, honestly, I really do for putting out that statement today. And I hope uh, Eric Adams follows through on this. I hope it's not just words. I hope that you will follow through, and I, I hope that the politicians don't sway you in a different direction, and that you stand by this point. And let this investigation play out fairly. And you did say you made the correlation that you worked in the subway systems and how challenging it could be. So let's give every benefit of the doubt. Let this investigation uh, play out. And, and let's be safe. And please, for the public out there, you're listening to this. For these politicians out there. And if, you, if you're part of this leftist movement, if you're watching, I really appreciate it. But if you're listening to this, understand there are severe consequences for for advocating for defunding the police because when an incident like this happens we're hearing where are the police so we have to pick and choose our battles and we have to start supporting the police we need structure structure and we need order and, and again john i really do applaud you for doing that i mean may adams is ultimately responsible for the position that you you've been put in for the decision that you had to make so on that i, I want to say thank you and i wouldn't do this podcast with someone that didn't stand on moral principle so I, I really do. I appreciate that. No, thanks. I do. I'm not going to lie. I do think he's an awful person. I do. <laughs> I do think he's completely incompetent. Um, but again, I don't want to see New York City fail. I don't want to see the NYPD fail. Um, and again, I think that the politics played a major role. I mean, it is a role. The politicians really did kill him. The politics of New York City, the ideology of New York City caused this man to lose his life. You know, whether it's how we're dealing with the homeless, how we're uh, how we're dealing with our police department. Again, we're, we're, we're short staffed. There's thousands of guys on the sideline like myself that could be placed right back in there with the training that they need to, to fill each and every train station in New York City. And he won't do it because of politics. Same way where they won't remove the homeless from our subway system because of politics. It's not humane to keep somebody like that. And, and again, I don't know, for those of you that don't know, I have a, a cousin who's a drug addict who's homeless on New York City streets. So when I hear people say, well, why, where was Jordan Neely's family? 
and he was out and he was out in the street. If he had a family that cared, he wouldn't be out in the street. That's not true. He's a grown man. It's hard. No, you know, when you're dealing with drugs and mental illness, I mean, you, you could only do so much, you know? So I, I don't, I don't believe that his, that his family didn't love him and didn't care. And it's their fault. I believe we failed him and I believe we failed those strap hangers. And I hope Eric Adams does the right thing. And I hope even Alvin Bragg at some point, decides to actually start doing his job and follow the law that he studied and starts to actually become a prosecutor and follow our laws and put the blindfold back on himself and, and, and police and, and prosecute impartially. Well, as the show, I like to reference that show that I saw and I told you going forward, if you're a strap hanging around a train in New York city subways and there's a potential threat, what would you do? So just think about that moving forward. What would you do? What are you going to do? Because ultimately, there are severe consequences. Let's do our best to keep this city safe. Let's make the police department better. And let's get rid of these politicians that just have a complete agenda. It's about themselves. We heard the word us twice in the statement. This should be about Jordan Neely, this Marine Corps veteran, and how the city is completely affected by it. Not just by a particular group. Everyone in the city counts. Black, brown, white, yellow, doesn't matter. Everyone counts. Even the migrants, they count too. <laughs> so, want to close this out? We're about an hour and a half into this, I think. Uh, sure, yeah, absolutely. I think we we nailed it. Unfortunately, I think we're going to have to talk about this again as, as, as things transpire with it. Uh, but, guys, thanks. I just want to thank everybody for listening. Thank everybody for all the support, even to our haters. Thank you for listening. Thanks for all your kind words. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're going to keep going. Uh, New York's finest, retired and unfiltered podcast, baby. 265 Police Live. We'll be right back at you.